Hello, brothers and sisters. I'm thankful to be here and to be able to minister another week to build you up, brothers and sisters, by the word of God and by the spirit of God. Hallelujah. Father, I love you and I thank you, Lord, for my brothers and sisters, and I bless them. I pour the blood of Jesus Christ upon them, and I decree over them that no evil shall befall them, neither shall any plague come nigh their dwelling. Father, I ask that you honor my prayer, glory, and let angels encamp around them, Lord, and cause them to be protected and be safe. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. This week, I'm going to talk about building relationships, building relationships. Let's go to Proverbs, the 17th chapter, and at the 17th verse, it says, a friend love it at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Let me read that again. A friend love it at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. I can't tell you how many times I've had a rough time in life, in the in the in the just the everyday things of life and different things that didn't happen and will happen or whatever. Well, I had friends that I didn't be able to talk to that encouraged me. And vice versa, I've been able to encourage them. But one thing about a friend from the Lord is that they love it at all times. They're not going to leave you when you miss it. You're not going to leave them when they miss it. And I'm going to say this, a friend is not really judgmental. A friend is not always trying to find out what's wrong with the person. You know, a good friend, will be a, you'll be able to tell them your shortcomings, and they'll listen to it and say, well, we're going to work through it. They're not going to try to uh, drive the, uh, the hammer down on you because you have shortcomings. When you when you miss it, they're not going to try to drive your hammer down and try to make you feel like you're nothing. No, they're going to say, well, okay, well, you know what? We're going to bounce back. They're going to be encouraging. They're going to encourage you to get out of that. They're going to encourage you to do, you know, to, to win. And they're not going to meditate on that shortcoming. They're not going to re- remember that shortcoming. Well, you know where that comes from, right? Let's go to Proverbs uh, 18 and at 24. It says, a man that have friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that stick it closer than a brother. Now, who is that friend that stick it closer than a brother? That friend that stick it closer than a brother is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we need to examine how does the Lord Jesus love? See, the Lord so loved the world, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? That whosoever believing on him should not perish but have everlasting life. So God loved us enough to give us everlasting life by only believing on Jesus. See, whosoever shall believe on him, John 3 and 16, have everlasting life. You have everlasting life by believing that Jesus is the Son of God. And not only did he give you everlasting life by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and believing that he's the Son of God, 
making him the Lord of your life, making him the, the, the sin sacrifice. You're laying your sins upon him, and he laying his righteousness upon you. What great love that is. See, not only did God so love the world that he gave his only begotten son, the son Jesus Christ died for me and you. He loved us when we was yet sinners. He loved us when we was unlovable. He loved us when we was murderers, thieves, you know what I mean, liars, blasphemers, or whatever we was doing. He loved us when we was messed up, when we was in sin, when we was in our mess. He loved us, not based on our performance. He loved us whether we was fat, whether we was skinny, whether we had a big head or not, whether we was cute, ugly, or whatever. He loves us. He accepts us how we are. And when we get born again, we're born again by believing on him. And when his nature enter into us, that's when we begin to change. We begin to change little by little as our nature is changed. We begin to renew our mind and we'll change in our inner man little by little. We're already born again. We're changed in our spirit. The rest of the change come by reading the word of God and finding out uh, how how uh, Christians live, finding out what's Jesus' testimony on the way you should live. And as you find out the way you should live, you begin to change. But see, he loved you when you was messed up. He didn't start loving you after you didn't change. He didn't start loving you while you're in the process of changing. He didn't start loving you when he gave you that new spirit, when he gave you that new heart. See what I'm saying? He loved you before you was lovable. And it says a man that have friends must show himself friendly. How did Jesus show himself friendly? He showed himself friendly by accepting you even though you was messed up. Well, many times we don't want to accept each other with each other's shortcomings. You see a shortcoming in me, I see one in you. We don't want to accept that. We want to feel like we got to be the Holy Spirit. We want to feel like we got to be the Word of God, like we got to change people. No, it, you're not the Holy Ghost. You're not the Word of God. You know the Holy Spirit, is he, he, he convicts of sin. But you know what real conviction is? It's not condemnation. People think condemnation is conviction. Years ago, a man told me, he said he was going to a church, but he didn't like the church because they didn't make him feel bad. When he, a guy actually told me this. He said they didn't make him feel bad enough when he left. He wanted to go somewhere where they made him feel bad. You you think I'm joking. A guy actually told me that. He didn't like the fact that they didn't have a condemning message, in other words. They didn't focus on what he wore on or what he, uh, what he had on or whether he had fasted or not or did he miss Tuesday night and Wednesday night Bible study or whatever? Did he miss church last Sunday? And, and uh, did he have uh, long sleeve shirts on? See, he, he wanted to go somewhere where they focus on that, to, to tell him everything that was wrong with him, a church where the people wasn't friendly. That's where he wanted to go. But, you see, it's not many people go to those kind of churches. They're normally extremely small. Why? Because a man that have friends, must show himself friendly. That's why Jesus loved people when they was yet sinners. He died for them when they was yet sinners. He loved them when they was yet sinners. 
and he didn't make it harder. He saw that men couldn't make it under the old covenant, under the covenant of condemnation. You need to read Second Corinthians, the third chapter. It calls the old covenant the covenant of condemnation, the covenant of death, the administration of death. See, he didn't come harder in the second because he came easy. He made it easy. He made it simple that if a man would confess with his mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe with his heart, he shall be saved. For with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. See what I'm saying? Whosoever believe on the Lord Jesus Christ shall not be ashamed. Well, men will try to make you ashamed. They'll try to bring up what you've done in the past. I'll try to put some kind of conviction on you because they're not satisfied with you. But what I'm saying is if the Holy Spirit is not dealing with you about a certain thing, that's just man and his way of trying to control and manipulate you. And see, a man that have friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that's sticking closer to, to than a brother. Proverbs 17 and 17, it says, a friend love it at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. Do you love your spouse at all times, or are you mad at them because they didn't gain weight? Are you mad at them because they won't do something you want them to do? See, they won't do what you want them to do, selfishness. You know, selfishness is the beachhead of sin. See, love is loving the person and letting them be themselves not trying to control and manipulate them. How many can say amen? That's true love. Loving, per loving people in spite of their shortcomings. I got a lot to say, brothers and sisters, but I'm out of time. Be blessed. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a great day. Hello, brothers and sisters. Welcome on this Tuesday morning. Once again, we're talking about building relationships. Father, in the name of Jesus, Cause me to articulate the things that you will want to say to my brothers and sisters. Let your spirit speak through this vessel to edify, to bless, to bring peace and liberty to the hearts and minds of them you love. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Well, let's go to James, the third chapter. Let's start at the first verse, James 3 and 1. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. Let me read that again. The second verse in particular, James 3 and 2. The first verse is pretty much saying, don't try to always be a teacher of everybody, a judge of everybody, because you're going to get the strict of judgment, right? But it says, for in many things, we offend all. I like how he used the word we. He didn't say us. He used he, he threw himself into that mix. And I'm going to throw myself into that mix. In many things, we offend all. You know, we stumble sometimes. 
if any man offend not in word, now this see this this see the same is a perfect man, and able also to brighter the whole body. You ever heard the word where it says, "Be ye perfect, for our Father in heaven is perfect." And so people mean, man, I got to make sure I brush my teeth every night. I can't have stinking breath. They ain't talking about all that perfect in the flesh. It's talking about if any man offend not in word. The Lord spoke to me the other day. He said, it's your words. It's your words. What is wrong with John, boy? Why he mad at you? It's your words. What is wrong with your husband? Why is he mad at you? It's your words. What's wrong with my wife? Why is she mad at me? It's your words. Your words. Your words. What did you say? How did you say it? Should you have said it? Should you have told your wife? You need to lose some weight. Should you have said that? Well, Brother Derek, she do need to lose weight. Yeah. Should you have said that? You're basically telling her that you don't like her because she's fat, which is selfishness. You're telling her you don't like her. You're telling her every time you look at her, you don't like her. You don't like her. You don't like her. Are you... You know, if, uh, if she tells you something, should you tell your husband everything wrong with him? Should you tell him you're tired of this and you're tired of you tired of him doing this and that? What you're telling him is you don't like him. You don't appreciate him. You wish you had somebody else because he inadequate. Well, he need to know. Well, he need to know. Yeah. If, in many things, we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and and able also the brighter the whole body. Well, I'm going to go tell the pastor. He need to do it this way. He need to do it that way. Oh, yeah? So you run the, you the pastor now. Oh, okay. And then you get mad at him when he don't take your advice. And then you leave the church. Then you go to another church, and once you get to know them, you do the same thing. You want to tell that pastor everything he need to do, how he need to straighten this person out. Then when they won't do what you say, you leave that church. And while you're leaving, you go criticizing to everybody. Is those people the problem or are you the problem? See, for in many things, we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man, and able also the bride of the whole body. Should you have told your wife what you told her? Should Women, should you have told your husband what you told him? Should you have told him your ex-boyfriend was better than him? You liked him, or, or vice versa? Should you have told your wife you, you, you hate you should have stayed with the ex-girlfriend? Should you have told her that? Should you have told her you don't like her half style? Should you have told her her breath stinky? Should you have told him he musty? Should you have told him? Or if you said, well, uh, yeah, I need to tell him. Well, how did you tell him? But see, some things you don't have to say. Some things you can pray about. 
Some things you can pray about. Some things you can wait for opportunity to say. See, love considers the other person uh, uh, over themselves. It's not easily offended for one thing, though. If the person do miss it, if you're walking in the revelation of love, you're still not easily offended. But many people is not walking in the revelation of love, and they are easily offended. How many understand what I mean? Love consider not his own. We should go read that uh, uh, 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Love is not puffed up. It's seeking not his own. It's not seeking me, me, me. Well, I like you better if you if you lost some weight. That's selfishness. That's the flesh. You met them because you probably physically attracted to them. You know, it could go either way. Most of the time, be the men mad at the woman because she didn't gain weight, but she didn't have babies, so forth and so on. So you use your words to tear them down. You use your words to be a curse and not a blessing. Use your words to bring anxiety to the spouse or to the coworker or to whoever. But you know what? The word of God says, for in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. And they were also the bridle, the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth that they may obey us. And we turn about their whole body. See, verse 4, it says, Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, you know, a, a ship is great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small hymn, whethersoever the governor listed. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasted great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kingdom. Whole churches have been destroyed by a tongue. Whole families have been destroyed by the tongue. Verse 6 says, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and set it on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire of hell. You know, your tongue, and I, I can go a lot of ways with this, it can heal your body, and your tongue can fill your body with sickness. Your tongue can heal your marriage. Your tongue can destroy your marriage. Your tongue can heal, heal people. Your tongue can destroy people. You can be a pastor and use your tongue Say, I'm going to teach them a lesson and you can destroy the congregation. You can run people away from God. You can make it where they never want to hear from God. They'll, they'll go around the people that love them and say, man, man, have a shot of my liquor, man. I know, I know you and your wife had in trouble. Man, here goes some liquor. Man, I love it. They'll kiss each other on the jaw. Me and my cousin, and, and I assure you, we're not homosexuals. We used to kiss each other on the jaw, drink, drink together and this and that. Yeah. Love each other. You know, sometimes people rather hang around people in the world, you know what I'm saying, than be around somebody who's always trying to find something wrong with them. See, for in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man, and they were also to bridle the whole body. Brothers and sisters, let's use our words as an encouraging tool. Let's ask the Lord to give us a tongue to learn and speak a word in season to them that are weary. Hallelujah, brothers and sisters.
I love y'all. Be blessed. Have a great day. Hello, brothers and sisters. I'm glad to be with you on this Wednesday. We're talking about building relationships. Oh, Father, cause me to express your mind towards my brothers and sisters. To express, Lord Jesus, your love. To express, Lord, your compassion. To express, Lord, your, your feelings towards them, the way you think toward them, Father. Put it in my mouth and in my tongue and in my spirit in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. How many of you ever want to give people a piece of your mind? You say, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. You know what? They got one more time and I'm going to show them. How many ever felt like that? You know, it would be good to give a person a piece of your mind if you had the mind of Christ. One place it says, be ye imitators of Christ. You know, do you know how to act? The imitate is to act. You know, oftentimes I imitate uh, President Clinton. I do his voice, you know, in different people's voice and so forth and so on, you know, acting. But you know, there's nothing wrong with acting, but you don't want to act a fool. You don't want to give a person a piece of your mind when your mind is saturated with hatred, when your mind is saturated with anger. You become what you think about. If you think about everything wrong with yourself or with somebody else, you become that. You become bitter and angry. A root of bitterness is planted by watering that root, by watering that plant. Whatever plant you water, the root's going to go deep and deep. If you water forgiveness and love, it's going to grow deep. If you water unforgiveness and bitterness, it's going to get deep and it'll be hard to uproot. The more you water a certain thing, the harder and more established it is. Well, God is wanting to build a relationship with you. So what he's doing is he's, he's offering you salvation even though you're not righteous. See, in certain circles, they teach that you're saved when you become righteous to their standard. But see, you cannot establish your own righteousness. If you go about to establish your own righteousness, you have not submitted yourself to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of any law for righteousness to them that believe. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you have already become righteous. See, righteousness is not something that you grow into. Righteousness is something you have right now by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, not based on your performance. And let's go ahead and prove what I just said by the Holy Scriptures. Romans, the fifth chapter, and at verse one, it says, therefore, being justified by faith. See, justified by faith. Faith is saying something. Justified means just as if you'd never sinned. You justify by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, by confessing him as your Lord and Savior. Now, it says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm at peace. Sin is not imputed unto me. Verse 2, it says, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace. It don't say you have access into uh, uh, to Christ by your works. 
by doing this and doing that, or by fasting and do, yeah, there's nothing wrong with fasting and praying, but you have access by faith. Faith is a complete confidence in someone or something. Your complete confidence is in what Jesus did. He died for your sins. Okay, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation work in patience. So how many of you, when tribulation comes, you start saying, yes, sir. I, I just recently learned to do that. Now I get a chance to use my faith to get this money. Now I get a chance to use my faith to get this healing. Next time you get sick, say, hallelujah. Now I'm finna, now I'm finna use my faith. Hallelujah. Next time you get broke, say, hallelujah. Boy, it's all right to live by faith. Now let me go and use my faith to make this money come. Try that out. It'll be something different. You try it the other way by, by crying. Ooh, try this way. Glory in your tribulations. And patience. Experience and experience hope. And hope making not a shame. Because the love of God is shared abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Now, the love of God is in your spirit. Your heart is your innermost being. The love of God is in your spirit, not in your mind. So if you give a, a person a piece of your mind, because God is not a mind also, God is a spirit. You have to let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. But see, God is a spirit, not a mind. See what I'm saying? So your mind has to be renewed by the word. Your mind has to be taught the things of the spirit. Because when you get born again, you still had that messed up mind. And your mind has to be re-educated. So that's why God impute righteousness to you without works, because he knows you're going to take a while to get your mind. It's a slow process to build himself into you. We're talking about building relationships. Now, in verse 6, it says, when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, if you're a self-righteous person, Christ didn't die for you. See, Christ didn't die for the Pharisees because they said that they was Abraham's seed. They don't need nobody to teach them. They called Jesus the devil. So he didn't die for them because they was already godly, supposedly. Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't die for these people who think they're holier than everybody. He didn't die for these people who always want to find something wrong with you when them themselves have many things wrong with them. You don't need Christ. If you're a judge, see, if you're a judge, it says judge not that you be not judged for what judgment you met out by the same judgment to be measured back unto you. You, you understand? It says he that judge it, do it the same thing. Whatever you're judging your brother or your sister about, you do the same thing they're doing. You have to learn, brothers and sisters, to accept people, your spouses, your children, you have to deal with people with the spirit of love, with the spirit of compassion, with the spirit of grace. I ain't saying be a fool now. Don't let people run over you. But you don't have to have a judgmental spirit on, on people that's not doing it. I, I just seen people mad at the righteous. Mad at the righteous. Yes, I done seen this. So it says, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for the ungodly. He died for people who was in sin. He paid the price. The wages of sin is death. So Jesus had to die because the wages of your sin, 
that ugly stuff you was doing, it had to be paid for, and somebody died for that. It wasn't free. Christ died for that. So don't offend him by acting like you're, you're a sinful person. You're not in sin. Your sins have been forgiven. The blood of Jesus is upon you, and his grace is upon you. If you miss it again, that blood hadn't left. For By one offering, he has forever perfected you. Verse 7 says, For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet preadventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, this message is dedicated to those of you who are listening to me who are sinners. I come to tell you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that Christ died for you. He wants you. You ever seen that thing that said, Uncle Sam wants you? Jesus Christ wants you. He wants you. He wants you. He died for the ungodly. He commending his love right now towards you. Why are you a sinner? Why are you a sinner? Come, come, come. Verse 9, it says, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Hallelujah. And not only so, but we also joy in God. Hallelujah. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Brothers and sisters, Christ is trying to build a relationship with you by not remembering your sins, not counting them against you, not holding them against you, not ever bringing it up again, but throwing it in the sea of forgetfulness. And we're going to do the same toward one another. We're going to build good relationships. Be blessed. Hello, brothers and sisters. Glad to be with you one more time. We're talking about building relationships, and as I've talked about all week, you build relationships by words. Father, in the name of Jesus, cause our words, Lord, to edify, to bless, to instruct, to bring laughter, Lord, but also bring instruction, Lord, to bring peace, Lord, to bring joy, and also to bring healing, Father. Let your anointing flow. Let your words flow, Lord, through our mouths in the name of the Lord Jesus. I got my wife with me at the King House Studios in Mobile, Alabama, coming at you. You know what I'm saying? And um, we're talking about building relationships. And when I when I met her, the way I built the relationship is when I met her, I, I used my words. You know what I'm talking about? I, uh, in the, in the, in uh, the way. We used to talk, you know, we use a lot of slang, uh, if you want me to say it in an educated form, uh, southern colloquial expressions or vernacular that was um, native to the Trinity Garden community. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, you're going to tell her how fine she is and how good she looks, so forth and so on. Why? Because you want her to feel good in her inner man. You see what I'm saying? You're trying to minister with your words to her mind so that she may enjoy your company so that you can, you know, get some. You know what I mean? Now, this, look, let me tell you this. This is this this message is for mature audience 
but I'm actually going to read the scripture. The scripture is explicit. You know, it just get right to the point. First uh, Corinthians, the seventh chapter. Now, I'm going to be blunt today. So if you're young, you know, you might not want to, this message is not really for you. It's really for the adults or, or, or advanced teenagers. First uh, Corinthians, the seventh chapter, it says, now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. So this verse is implying, you know, God is not dumb. Paul is not dumb. When you start putting your hands on that woman, you know what's going to happen. So Paul is saying in the word, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, some of us have violated that. We got in trouble before we were married. We were touching these women. But see, Paul let you know that verse 2, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his what? His own wife. His own wife, not somebody else's wife. And let every woman have her own husband, not somebody else's husband. And the way you first built the relationship, the reason that woman talked to you and vice versa, because your words was right. Your words wasn't ugly, see? Your words weren't filled with malice and hatred. Your words was kind. The woman's words to that man was kindness, and the man's words to that woman was kindness. Y'all tricked each other. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Y'all tricked one another. Well, you want to go, you was acting. You remember I talked about earlier this week, you got you to gotta act. The Bible say be imitators of Christ. What are they doing? They're acting. So you got to be imitators. You got to be actors. You know, Denzel Washington, what he do? He act. Y'all saw training day. That man ain't like that. That He was acting. Well, start acting like you was acting when you first met. You know, when I first met, my wife couldn't wait to see. She loves some old D money. You know, you know what I'm saying? So she putting that olive oil in my shoe to get me saved. She lo- and, and vice versa. You know what I mean? You was acting. Well, after you have been together for a while, you stopped acting and started acting like the devil. Started acting a fool instead of act, imitating God. At first, you were imitating God. Now you be you get where you be imitating the devil. Well, let me let me move on. So it says um, in verse three, we have First Corinthians seven at verse three. We talk about building relationships. Now, if you don't get nothing out of this, your words is how you build or destroy a relationship. Your words is going to ring in the person's mind, you know, uh, for a few days, for a few weeks, for a few years, for a few months, or however, forever sometimes. Her words is going to ring in your mind, and your words are going to ring in her mind. You remember I said earlier uh, this week, and, and this goes for regular friendships also, you know, uh, let me take a segue here. Even on my job, this guy, you know, I don't want to use his name. Let's call him uh, uh, Shabazz. He came to our station. You know, he's a sub, and uh, it's a culture at the post office uh, that you mistreat the people that are subs. And I hope, I hope this get to the, to the people who do it. I, I'm not saying it in secret. I'm saying it openly. It's a culture that, that they're nobody. And you treat them any kind of way. And you do anything to them. So when so everybody I meet when those sub come up, I'll be like, What up? So I like uh what I call his name, Shabazz. I like, what up, Shabazz? And I gave him a fist pound. Man, what's happening? You know the first thing that man said? He said, It's definitely not preaching. He said, It feels different over here. I said, Man, that's the Holy Ghost. I said, because 'cause I'm over here. 
you know, I always joke that way. I be serious, but I be joking, you know, because I pray, you know. And I'm not saying I'm the only one, but I feel like God hear my prayers because I got faith. You know what I'm saying? So um, this guy said he felt it soon. He drove in the parking lot. And I think he might be another religion. I don't know. But he said he felt that anointing when he when he drove in the parking lot. Why? Because the right words is released where I work. And probably the wrong words is released where he worked. And, and what's a shame about it is Christians over there where he worked. And I hope, and I hope y'all get this over there. I hope it ain't the Christians that are releasing the wrong words. Now, what we was, we in First Corinthians the seventh chapter, and um, it says, "Let the, the third verse." It says, "Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence." I looked that word up. It means kindness. That same kindness you were showing one another, render it to your wife. But watch this, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. You know, don't give each other a piece of you all's mind. Now, it's okay to give each other a piece of your mind when it's the mind of Christ. But when it's the mind of hatred and the devil and madness and hatred and anger, that's not due benevolence. That's not kindness. That's, I'm going to get you sucker. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, you know, then verse 4, this is one of my favorite scriptures, especially when I got my wife here. You know, it say the wife have not power over her own body but the husband. That's a great one right there. And likewise, also, the husband have not power over his own body, but the wife. I ain't going to never, she ain't going to never have that trouble with me. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but look, all jokes aside, we don't want to use that scripture when some bad going on and use the word as a sword. You see what I'm saying? And so, you know, it talks about that your body belongs to the wife and the wife body belongs to you. And we learned in that first verse, you build the relationship by touching, by touching. That's how relationship is built, by touching. And then verse 5, it says, Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. Boy, boy, boy. This 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 say this, uh, you know, I almost want to skip past that, but I almost inferred that the husband and wife post to fast and pray, don't it? Amen. And come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. So see right there, the Lord is teaching each other how to be kind to one another in the time of fasting, because you can't touch one another when you're fasting. <laughs> Amen, sister? Well, as long as you fasted when we can't touch one another, it's cool. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, if you ain't fasting, you just act it up. There's <laughs> been a lot of wise fasting here lately. <laughs> now nah, we just having a good time, brother. So this time go by too quick. But you know, down um man, I got a lot to say, but I'm running short on time. But at verse thirteen it says, And the woman will have the husband that believeth not. If he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. In other words, if you got a spouse that don't believe, if they please to be with you, you're supposed to stay with them. But what you're supposed to do, you're supposed to have a prayer covering over them. Why? Because that sanctifies that, that spouse that don't believe, and it also sanctifies your children. And what will happen 
that prayer will get them either born again or it's going to make them leave. And so, you know, you got to be kind, whether they save, unsaved, good, bad, happy, or sad. I'm out of time. Be blessed. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Hello once again, brothers and sisters. I'm having a good time here with my lovely wife, Victoria. And uh, we're we still talking about building relationships. Father, bless our thoughts and our words, Lord, that they may edify the masses. Let multiplication come, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus. I got to go back to 1 Corinthians, the seventh chapter. Um, and we're going to start at the 13th verse. It says, well, at the, at the 12th verse, 1 Corinthians 7 and 12, it said, but to the rest, Speak I, not the Lord, if any brother have a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. Other words, if your wife is not really a Christian, if she don't go to church, that ain't no grounds for divorce. When y'all met, she wasn't saved. You probably wouldn't either. That's how a lot of times it'd be like that. That's how me, me and my wife wasn't saved when we met. Now, don't you get saved and become, become a clown and be like, oh, she up in there looking at uh, Teen Wolf. Wolf or some stuff. Or the wrestling. And he watching the wrestling. You all foaming at the mouth. You know what I'm saying? Got your underwear on a ward and stuff. Don't act like that. What we what was that word yesterday where it said you're supposed to do benevolence? I looked the word benevolence up. It said kindness. Love is kind. It's not puffed up. Read that First Corinthians, the 13th chapter also, and read in the Amplified so you'll know what those, that stuff means. Look those words up and stuff like that if you don't know what they mean. Yeah, so if you with a person that's not a Christian, your job is to be an intercessor for them because you have power. See, let me show you. Verse 13, the woman, <clears throat> which have a husband that believe it not, if he be pleased to do it with her, let her not leave him. Don't leave him because he's drunk. Don't leave him because he's high. Now, he don't need to be beating on you. I understand that. You might need to separate of that kind of stuff. But don't underestimate your prayers. Why? Because the Bible, God is going to hear your prayers because God is in you is stronger than Satan that's in him. Let me say that again. The Holy Ghost in you, greater is he. Greater is he. Now, remember that word, greater is he. Somebody say this. Say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Or other words, your husband or wife is in the world, and the power of God is on the inside of you. is greater than the world, and it's on the inside of them, right? So now you got to release your faith. See, verse 14, it says, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. Hallelujah. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. Do you know two people that's not born again, their children are unclean? So if you're hearing this and you're not saved and your wife is not saved, one of y'all need to get born again because your children are unclean according to the scriptures. But when one of you gets saved, you sanctify that spouse. See, but now in verse 14 it says, but if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God have called us to peace. Now, you ain't under that marriage vow if they leave you, see. If they leave you, that's different. But if they please do it with you, don't try to run them away. You show them love. Let The, let, the same way God got you by for, forgiving you of your sins, forgiving you of your trans, trespasses, 
not holding your trespasses against you, throwing your sins in the sea of forgetfulness, and all that kind of stuff, and not remembering everything you've done. You do the same thing for them and pray for them. And I promise you, I promise you, you'll see a change most of the time. But if they don't change, they're going to leave according to the scriptures because God trying to get you somewhere else. Now, that's that's what the word of God teaches. Now, 1 Corinthians um, the 11th chapter, it, it says at the third verse, it says, but I will have you know that the head of every man is Christ. Now, what kind of head is it talking about? Is it talking about the head that's on your neck? No. Is it talking about a hat on your head? No. It's talking about your spiritual head. Christ, the head of every man, your spiritual head is Christ. You know, people who don't understand the scripture, they think that's talking about a cover. When they say covering, they think it's talking about a cloth on your head or a hat on your head. But it's talking about the head of every man is Christ, not a hat. And the head of the woman is the man, not a hat. See? When it's talking about the head, the man is giving her for a covering, not a hat for a covering. You understand? And it's talking about the head uncovering. In other words, no other man is not supposed to lord it over you. You're not under lordship. Or, uh, another man is not your overlord. See, Paul talked about that, where it's talked about the Gentiles want to be overlords over people. Now, you're not, you don't have overlord. You respect your pastor. Now, you render unto them, you know, you voluntarily submit unto their leadership now. But the head of every man is Christ, not another man. And the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Then it talks about every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonored his head. Not talking about a hat. Talking about you up under somebody, and you praying and prophesying, got to submit to this person while you're praying and prophesying. And then it said every woman praying or prophesying with her head uncovered, dishonored her head. So that's, that's not talking about. Uh, had in this and that is talking about the husband supposed to be covering his wife in prayer. But also, if the husband is an unbeliever, guess what? The wife is covering him in prayer. How many understand that? So if you got an unbelieving husband or he off the wall, you got to cover him in prayer. You have that spiritual authority. But men, you got to take your place as a spiritual head as a spiritual covering, not a overlord, not Attila the Hun or Genghis Khan or, or, or Saddam Hussein or nobody. That ain't what it's talking about. Mm-hmm. Now, Ephesians, the fifth chapter, uh, what, Vicky, you got it, Ephesians, the fifth chapter and the 21st verse. It says, uh, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Stop right there. Now, we submit ourselves voluntarily one to the other first. Now, the Bible also talks about the woman is the weaker vessel. She's not weak per se, you know, far as uh, uh, spiritually, because the Bible say in Christ there's neither male or female. Do you know it was women prophetess? Anna wasn't weak when she was prophesying. Deborah wasn't weak. Those women of God, they weren't weak in their prophetic anointing. When they spoke and it came to pass, his God was speaking. So that ain't what it's talking about. But a woman might be, as my wife would probably tell you, you all know it, they might be a little bit more emotional. So you got to have a little bit more grace. How many of you all understanding this? But I love to see a woman cast the devil out or lay hands on the sick and they still recover. Is that weak when the spirit of God working through her like that? I don't call it weak. Matter of fact, Sister Tony, 
Man, a, a great prophetess of the Lord, she blessed me mightily. I mean, gave me great words, accurate words. The lady, mighty woman of God. Hallelujah. So it's not talking about, about it like that. But she is a woman that always sub submit herself voluntarily to the leaders, and some of them ain't even as spiritual as her. Okay, read, read, keep reading. It says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of our of the body. Stop right there. Now, what did Christ do? God built up the people. Read the New Testament. It's, it's testimony of you being built, telling you greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Even in the Old Testament, he told them that they was the head and not the tail, above only, not beneath. He didn't tear them down with words. He said they'd be well able to take the land. He didn't use his words. Now, he was the head, but he never used his words to make the person who he's the head of feel inferior. If you think being the head of somebody is to use your words to make them be inferior, you missed it. It's actually the opposite. He actually, we did sin and act a fool, and he said, I'm not holding it against you if you believe on me. It's the opposite. He's, he's, he's throwing your sins in the sea of forgetfulness. He's, separate, he's not remembering that. He's not saying, you did this to me, you did that to me. I'm going to get a divorce from you. That ain't, God is not saying that. He's saying if you repent, he's forgiving you. So it's saying that for the husband is the head of the wife. In other words, we got to act like Jesus act toward her as he act towards us. See, as Christ is the head of the church, he's the savior of the body. Brothers and sisters, I'm running low on time, but if you keep reading, it shows you that the husband, he sanctified the wife by the washing of water, by the word, but you actually have a strong prayer covering over her. That's how your relationship is built, by being caring and nurturing and having a prayer covering over her and vice versa. You know what I'm saying? Woman, build your husband up and so forth and so on. I'm out of time. Be blessed. I'll talk to you next week.